getting right into it so that I can maximize the 60 minutes that this recording app lets me use. I'm going to get right into the topic, skipping the intro, skipping the details about the nonprofit and go right into the topic of dating. Uh, I, at this point, have had genital HSV2, to my knowledge, for, I believe this is my ninth year. I'm 33. I would have found out at age 20. Wow. I think it's 10 years. Regardless, um, the entirety of my dating life has really looked the same. I think that herpes has made me more uh, assertive in dating. And I say that because not only do I need to or feel this moral obligation to initiate a conversation disclosing my herpes status, but also uh, identifying someone who is worth me putting myself in that vulnerable space to disclose to. And I'm going to talk about this in therapy soon, but I recognize a consistent pattern in my own dating history has been that I have this avoidance of rejection. And over the years, I remember the first blind date I went on, y'all. I was with my friend Nick. Um, He unfortunately passed away when we were young um, in a tornado uh, that happened in Missouri. But I remember that he was seeing this girl and she had a younger, like, half-sister. He was a year older than me. And she was a year younger than uh, her sister. So we go to the movies uh, after having talked for a long time on the phone. And like we'd be on four way or three way or whatever. Oh, my God. Just taking me back. So uh, we finally meet in person. We get dropped off at the movies. And like I was so certain I remember this. And this is the first time I'm even thinking about this since I don't know how long ago. But I remember I saw her. She came around the corner and I just took off running, (laughs) y'all. I just took off running. And I can't remember much after that. I don't remember we kept talking or what. I don't know why, y'all, but I was just, I, I already talked to her and I was scared. But I, as an adult now, linking the most recent occurrence that I've had with something like that to the first time that I can remember it, I think that that had to do with me not wanting her to see me and then reject me. Like I was so invested at that point because we've talked so much and, you know, we were kids. I'd say I was probably like 11, 12, 13 years old. However old you are when you get dropped off at the movies. I know it wasn't in high school. It was like probably middle school. And so, yeah, I didn't really understand why I did that. But the only thing that I can think of was just like, I was insecure. I was insecure to the point of avoiding rejection. And regardless of how often that we talked on the phone, and now this was before dating apps, and we went to different schools, so it's not like we saw each other every day. So we didn't really have ways of sending pictures. It was like you had to take your friend's word that the person was cute, and then you're talking, you get invested, and then you meet, 
And then if it's if it, they don't look like or if you don't look like what the other person expected, you run the risk of rejection. And I don't know, man, I just took off running. And the most recent occurrence that makes me think about the avoidance of rejection that I had is um, now having herpes uh, and being open about it. Uh, I recognize, and I've spoken about this before on podcast episodes, that my openness and being public about it is a way to avoid anyone who's going to reject me um, intimately or from dating because I have herpes, because I'm open about it. And not only that, but I'm open about it for a good reason. Like I help people with herpes who at the extreme end of the spectrum want to kill themselves, right? So my work essentially is suicide prevention. I had this traumatic thing happen and I flipped it into something that actually does some good in the world. And so when I disclose my herpes status to a person, a person doesn't hear, oh, you have herpes. They hear a, the, the, the undercurrent of my disclosure being this is the kind of person who a bad thing may happen to, but he's able to do something with it. They hear he's a good person. They hear he has integrity. They hear if I've been doing this now five years, they hear consistency. Like they hear things that trigger the connection response to what they may be looking for in a partner, whether that be long term or whether that be like just uh, an indicator of safety. Right. So most recently, uh, and enough time has passed for me to be able to talk about this now, but someone I, I met, we've known each other, uh, kind of. Uh, we connected and we went out. We had a great time. And I recognized how I like a person, like when and how I like a person is when I feel safe to really go into detail asking, answering the question, how are you? So if I feel like I can tell you this thing, I can tell you what I've been working on, what I've been reflecting on, and I feel listened to and I feel like you heard me, I fall in love. Like that's that's how you get me, because then that shows me that you're trustworthy of me to open up to. I can't tell you how many people ask me how I'm doing only to assess whether or not I'm in a place where they can get whatever it is that they need to say off. And that's really the intention behind it. So we had this connection uh, that I felt and I was like, damn, you know, I really like this person. And at the time I was working with my therapist on not just having sex on the first date. Uh, well, I wasn't working with my therapist on that. He just invited me to consider not doing that anymore. <laughs> and so uh, we go out, you know, and, you know, she knows what I do. She follows me on social media and she won't hear this podcast because she don't listen to it. A lot of women. So I, I think I noticed that I date women who don't listen to my podcast. There's There's been one person that I know who would listen um, who would have listened and like comment. Um, and we've had a relationship, but that's, that's ended now for shit a couple months now that I think about it. So if you're listening, what's good? I ain't heard from you. I feel ghosted, but it's all good. I know you got a relationship that you're working on and maintaining and, uh, I see your stories. So hi, I hope you're well. Um, so me and this woman, uh, that I was talking about originally, 
she and I go out. We have a great time. Like, we are, like, dancing, we're drinking. And at the end of the night, uh, we were getting to a point of which I was like, all right, I need to make a move. So I'm going to ask. Like, I asked her, it's like, hey, so what are you thinking? Like, are you getting friend vibes or what? And she was like, oh, just friends. And this was shortly after I made, like, a sexual comment. And it was, like, received very well. I was like, damn, okay, well, all right, that's, that's fine. So we go on about the night, dance more, and, like, people talking to us, socializing and all that stuff. And then at the end of the night, we go home together. So I assumed that what would have happened was... Um, Cause she lives pretty close. We would have Ubered to her place and I would have just walked home. But uh, she got the Uber and told me to plug in my place. I was like, oh, okay. So we come back to my place and um, we go to bed. And I mentioned that thing that I said that was a sexually thing that was received well. And I was like, can friends do this? She was like, shit. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, um, that sexual thing ended up turning into you know, a short, very short, like reaffirm disclosure. Um, because yeah, I'm open about having herpes, but I always have to make sure that a person is actually okay with it. So I go, hey, so can I have sex with you? And she was like, yeah, I know your situation. I trust you to keep me safe. I said, bet. So not only have I like fallen in love because I felt very emotionally connected to, but also like, I feel like this is a great thing. Like I couldn't wait to tell my therapist, yeah, I had a connection before having sex. Like it was legit, blah, blah, blah. So next day uh, we had sex again and then she left. And then she, about four to six hours later, text me freaking the fuck out that maybe she had herpes and I tried not curse throughout this podcast damn and then I said that too Ugh. so um that happened and I, re- I realized I was like I was crushed by that and the reason that I was so crushed tying it back to the first occurrence of avoidance of rejection is because I put up this entire defense mechanism that is something positive for positive people that is my face being out there in association with me having herpes and then received the acceptance, you know, not just, you know, for me having herpes, but for me as a person, like I felt that safety emotionally, emotional safety and connection was demonstrated for me, which created this sense of, t- of, of, uh, trust. <clears throat> and, uh, with that trust came this expectation for me and the expectation put me on this high. I was like, oh my God, like this is somebody that perhaps I can build with or someone who, because there's a lot more to it in terms of how I saw this person at the time in that like I'm someone who really values space and I also value quality time and connection. The more that another person has going on. And I I hate how this is going to sound, but the more available someone is, the less attractive they are to me or the less attractive they become. And I say that because I have a lot going on and I need my personal space. And I have a history of becoming enmeshed in relationships to where one of us is always doing what the other person is doing. And like we treat that like quality time. That's not quality time. What that is, is 
I'm a person who has my routine. I have my things that I do. I do yoga. I go to the gym. I like to just play video games. I might want to watch anime. And if you're someone who isn't inherently into those things, then it doesn't feel like quality time. It, it feels like taking away from my recharge time. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that in other ways as well. But I found myself, you know, not just a partner doing that to me, but also myself doing that to a partner, being all up in their space like that. So it has become very important to me to have my own thing going on. And so this person seemed to like check a lot of these boxes, not to mention the sex was fire. Like, and that that'll that'll really be what sends you over the top. But uh, going back to the thing about expectations is I created this imagined reality as a result of that trajectory of how things were going that put me on this high and like I'm, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. And also this person was fine with me having herpes. That's probably one of the bigger hurdles in dating um, on the surface, at least, if that's what you're looking at when it comes to dating and relationships. Um and she was okay with it, or at least she told me she was. And so I'm on this high, and then for her to have been like, actually, I'm really scared that I have herpes. I don't want to do this. It was like the fall was so much harder because it came from so much higher, right? So it's not like I was rejected in the moment uh, for having herpes. Like, hey, Courtney, you great guy. I just don't want to get herpes. Like, had it been said to me earlier on in the night or at that point of, you know, sex about to happen, um, it would have been a much shorter fall. I'd have been like, oh, well, that's a bummer, but you know, I respect your decision. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for taking care of yourself is the absolute best response to any sort of a rejection. But we also have to, <clears throat> and this is a separate like topic. I don't want to get too deep into this, but recognizing rejections and receiving it in a way that uh, or even if you're rejecting someone, offer an alternative. If you still want to be with someone in a way that, you know, they say, all right, well, can I fuck you is what I said to her, you know, rather than, you know, perhaps just complying out of fear of harm or not necessarily feeling safe. Because, uh, you know, these are things that women actually deal with and go through in their head. Um, the response of, well, I want to have sex, but we can make out right? That was something that probably could have been said if um, someone is um, on the receiving end of a rejecting, a rejection, you know, if she would have said something like that, or she was just like, no, I'm not actually okay with this. And I could have been like, all right, well, thank you for taking care of yourself. Like, let's cuddle, talk, go to sleep, wake up, and then we'll go to breakfast or something like that, right? So uh, I'm not oblivious to the fact that perhaps there was some pressure, uh, perhaps there, there was alcohol involved, perhaps um, there wasn't attraction like that. Perhaps, you know, she was just horny in the moment and I was there. So there's a lot of factors that play into this. Um, and I also, you know, just I would have rather it been in the under circumstances where a lot of those potentialities could have been eliminated uh, with, let's say, sobriety. You know, if we were sober and had that conversation or if um, a not right now was in place. So, like, I, I made it a point now, first time hookups, 
there will not be alcohol involved. Like that's that's like a new thing for me, uh, having gone forward from this and talked through it out loud. Um, so that all said, this is a very powerful lesson for me in dating because it very much hit on a consistent pattern that I have, which is this avoidance of rejection. Like I avoided rejection and then it still happened. Like it's going to be inevitable. That is sort of what this dating game is. And when dating, I, I find that a lot of the people that I speak to will decide to not date based on their status. They'll be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be celibate. I'm going to focus on me. Like we are inherently designed for and working towards connection. People that reach out to me, they are reaching out for a temporary fill in for a void that is that they're looking to be filled by a partner, a relationship. You know, it's cool to be independent. It's cool to be on your own. But at the end of the day, we all want that person that or a person, some people that we can not only uh, experience, but also allow for ourselves to be experienced. I used to host a podcast called Self, and the idea behind it was self-exploration, self-discovery, self-expression, uh, self-education. So it was all of those things, like ourselves to be able to be expressed and experienced. That's what connection is, and that's what I felt on my end with this person who I felt this strong rejection from. Um, and that's like, that's that's dating. And I recognize, too, that there's this ambivalence. I love using this word. I just learned it. Literally, what day did I record? Uh, literally last Friday, ambivalence. <laughs> and what it is, is just like, uh, it's almost apathy, but like a lack of excitement. Um, and I think that that particular interaction just sort of like put me in this state of being triggered because even in dating, like I recognize that there's no, there hasn't been anyone that I'm super duper excited about. And I'm finding myself like being very, very, very picky. And my choice in dating, and this ties into what I was saying about other people um, who make the decision to be celibate, right? So as a defense mechanism, choosing celibacy could be out of fear of rejection as well, to choose not to date, to choose to get off dating apps, to choose to make yourself unavailable when the reality is you are unavailable because you are unwilling to experience the rejections that may come through dating and take into consideration, like for me in my case, yes, I have herpes. Yes, that could be the one thing that kept me and this woman from moving forward with more intimacy or relationship or sexual relationship. Um, but the other thing, too, is that maybe she just didn't like me that much. And I'm, I'm using myself here as an example, but this is a lot more common than you think. You know, a lot of people are in relationships with people who have herpes. A lot of people have herpes and are actively dating and not having issues with disclosing. And we also just need to take into consideration just for just briefly play with the idea that maybe not only is that other person not super attracted to you, but maybe you're not even attracted to them. Maybe they're just 
accepting of a thing about you that you have a strong insecurity for. And because of that, you feel this high quality sense of connection. Let's say for me, I've had financial insecurities and this is something that I've been very open about. Um, And when I find someone who doesn't depend on me financially, it's like, cool, that's one less thing I don't I don't have to worry about. Like, I'm not asking you to take care of me. I'm just saying I have to be at a place of being able to take care of myself. So dates look a certain way. Uh, We might go do these things that are free or don't cost. If I really like you, like I'm going to go eat. So I might as well, you know, we can just eat together. Um, and I'll, I'll pay. Like, these are the kinds of things that I have understood about myself when it comes to financial insecurity. Um, when it comes to the insecurity around herpes, I think that I've done a really good job of just getting that out there rather early. Um, and even in like on my dating profiles, it's been on my dating profiles in various creative ways. And it's warded off people who might match with me. We chat, they start to think, oh, okay, well, he cool, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, he has herpes. Uh, I don't want any parts of that. And those aren't the people that are for me because not only do I have herpes, I'm also open about it. So whoever it is that I'm with also has to be secure in who they are enough to be able to be in a relationship with somebody who is open about their herpes status. And it also takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to be able to receive that well uh, and handle that. Because like that's, you know, I, I, I think that I've recognized that I'm very demisexual. I can have casual sex. I can have sex without the connection, but it gets so much better over time when I feel emotionally safe because then I can open up and do more. I'm a big black dude that often dates outside of my race. So I need that safety there before I can really go into certain kinds of play or uh, anything that's going to leave marks and bruises. Because you can write, I live up the street from a police station, y'all. You can walk out of here, run up the street. Help, look, he did this to me. He had these red marks around my neck. He slapped my ass. Like all that stuff. Like these are actual things that I think about when it comes to dating. And there's like, there's so much more depth to it as well. But I think that these kinds of things really just get overlooked by the fact that we, and I'm, I'm saying this, we as people who primarily listen to this podcast are people who are navigating the world having herpes. Don't close yourself off from having what it is that you want. Be honest with yourself. Like, and I mentioned um, this ambivalence, like meet ambivalence with intentionality. That's the last uh, episode title. And I'm recognizing that I have for a very long time been unintentional with my dating because my underlying intention has been to avoid the feeling of rejection. Someone that uh, we we just ended our casual relationship, she closed her relationship uh, with her partner and we're still friends. And we were having this conversation about rejection and she asked me um, two very powerful questions. One was, you know, not why are you scared of rejection, but like what does being rejected look like and feel like? And also what does something essentially that made me trigger the thought of what does that mean about me 
if I experience a rejection? And she told me not to answer the question. I didn't answer it. I instead decided to just like sit with it, reflect on it a little bit. And then I got distracted. So this is me processing that out loud. What being rejected feels like to me is I'm not in high school anymore, right? I don't have a community of people that I see regularly every day that uh, if someone finds out this intimate detail about my life, that people are going to treat me differently, right? And kids are cruel, kids are ignorant. And so I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like I'm dealing with adults. So rejection doesn't carry near as much weight from one person as it does one person in a group of people in a community of a community of a community where you can lose your sense of security in community because someone is mean to you over something that they don't even understand. So I want to simplify that by kind of repeating it. What I mean is one person's rejection in adulthood does not mean the same thing as a rejection in childhood, right? Same thing with social media. I guess like social media is the new high school. So if someone knows that you have herpes and this is something that you're embarrassed by, that person can use it against you in a way that isolates you from your community. So metaphorically, high school, social media, we're not in high school anymore. And to be honest, if you got people around you, friends and family who would do something like that to intentionally hurt you, let them see the door using this as what allowed for them to leave. There's no reason for that. There's no reason to have these kinds of people in your life. Um, because there that it it doesn't it doesn't feel good like we don't we don't need that right and so the second question being what does it mean for my identity um i think that it directly goes against what my what i'm pouring my values i'm pouring my values into something positive for positive people so when a person rejects me for having herpes i think that they're rejecting this thing that i've poured myself into and when i look at this entity that is something positive for positive people i see it as something bigger than me so when i get rejected it's like the concept of something positive for positive people aiming to bring awareness to the social stigma of herpes it feels like i failed it feels like i didn't do my job because i'm coming into contact with a person who will still reject me for having herpes even though i've got this great thing that's available and accessible to the world that people can uh, utilize and help them navigate uh, the herpes stigma in their own way. It's suicide prevention awareness. People are able to experience their stories uh, from other people and share their stories and feel the support. I don't feel like I'm being rejected for having herpes. I feel like that ideology is being rejected for having herpes. And so that's herpes exclusively. But when we talk about my fear of avoidance of rejection, long before 
uh, my herpes diagnosis, taking it back to me running away from the girl at the movies, looking at today. Today, if I didn't have herpes and I was still dating, my feeling of rejection would also look like not feeling emotionally safe. You know, for me to want to have a conversation with somebody about my childhood trauma, my mental health, emotions, for somebody to be like, man, you acting like a little bitch. Like, don't, don't know men talk like that. Like, I don't want to hear about your emotions. Don't nobody give a fuck how you feel. Fuck your feelings. And again, this is an extreme. This is absolutely an extreme. And I think that in my environment growing up, I did see a lot of this, not just from the people around me, but the women, like the cutest women wanted, I guess, the most, you know, non-emotional, manly guy there was. And I saw it even with my mom dating. My mom dated men who were not emotionally aware, intelligent, or available, but she damn sure raised me to be emotionally aware, intelligent, and available. And she leaned on to me for that because she wasn't able to get that from the men that she was dating or being or having relationships with. So here I am, you know, I, I, I recognize now growing up what I need is what didn't what I didn't get in childhood. And my mom was unable to meet me with reciprocated uh, connection emotionally because it was like she was so drained by emotionally unavailable people that she needed that one end of the emotional connection, which was just to be heard. Like I, I heard my mom say, you know, things that no kid should hear from their mom, right? Um, and in conversation with me, like looking for the emotional support that she was unable to get from her significant others. And so what this taught me growing up was like I became every girls that I every girl that I wanted to like have a relationship with or date, I became their best friend. And I recognized like much later that in the dating world, like this, there's a game, unfortunately, that's being played. And it's a game that you either you're going to play willingly or you're going to play unwillingly and you ain't going to like the result. So not in a, it, I mean, it is manipulation, however you look at it. But like, I try to look at it as on one end, you have coercion. On the other end, you have influence. I like to think of myself as, you know, influencing a person to want to connect with me in the way that I want to be connected to. And that, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to keep this themed with my experience in a way that hopefully enables you and inspires you, <laughs> see what I did there, to be able to see how your most recent dating experience that triggered you went versus the first dating experience that you can recall having triggered that same feeling within you. If you're able to connect the most recent trigger to the initiation of the trigger, you get to see it's like being in the matrix. You see every relationship in between. You know exactly why things happened the way that they did. You know why some things worked out, some things didn't work out. You know why you felt good about some things, bad about others. And that's what I'm hoping that you receive from me sharing here as I process this um, as best I can, uh, given that this is, again, the first time that I've spoken about this. So uh, 
I talked about like having herpes and being rejected for having herpes to me feels like a rejection to everything that I've done over the last five years with something positive for positive people. I feel like rejection invalidates my work and my uh, affirming the that people can have you know, active sex lives and dating lives, despite having herpes, people are going to be accepting the right kind of people are. And I feel like I'm living an example of that. I am very enmeshed with my identity as H on my chest, um, the founder, executive director, podcast host of something positive for positive people. So when I, Courtney, get rejected, that's who feels it. And so much of my identity is tied into that, that it hurts it hurts because it's an invalidation of my identity because that's where my identity is tied to. And I think it's the same thing for a lot of people who experience a rejection and they they feel like it's a sexual rejection. I'm not going to have sex with you is what people hear when uh, they disclose their herpes status and the person just doesn't want to move forward with them. Because given that most of this audience is women, how often has a dude ever told you, no, I don't want to have sex with you? You ain't never heard that before you got herpes. If you, if some dude, if you are with a guy, let's using the heterosexual language here, like men, especially, eh, let's say before late 20s, have this belief that women just have dicks thrown their way left and right. All you have to do is say yes or no. And for guys, we tend to like jump at the opportunity to get some ass. Like that's just that's just who we are. That's what we that's what we do. So if that same logic is applied to your cisgendered heterosexual woman who receives a herpes diagnosis, discloses her status to a guy who never turns down sex and then is turned down like so much of that is invalidating because it's like, oh, guys never turn me down. Like, oh, guys always say yes to sex. And if that's if you hear no to the thing that a person always says yes to, then that rejection hits significantly different as well. But it's not about being rejected for sex that you have to look at. You have to look at that emotion underneath it. What is it that you felt in that moment? And can you trace it back to the first time you felt that? For me, again, taking this, you know, it's with herpes, then without herpes. If herpes wasn't here, the rejection that I would have experienced from that person that I slept with, if it wasn't about herpes, it would have been like, damn, you know, we connected. I feel like this is such a mutual two-way street of connection, emotional um, emotional awareness, and like, I, I feel connected to you. That part, feeling invalidated or rejected carries a significant more amount of weight to me than being rejected for having herpes and it feeling like as intense as it is because so much of my identity is in something positive for positive people. We are not our sexual selves exclusively. That is a part of so much more of us. And I think that because I'm aware of my value, newly aware of my value as an emotionally aware and intelligent human being, especially man, um, because that's not something that women are used to having available to them. I now know my value. So for me, having recently understood that my value is not tied to how, uh, how 
pleasurable meshing genitals with someone is or my finances or my physical looks, I now recognize like how much more of myself is interconnected with this intangible aspect of myself energetically, my emotions, my ability to connect with people and experience and be experienced by them, to experience them and be experienced by them is more of an emotional thing. So now knowing what my value is, knowing what my worth is, I've caught myself having to consciously disengage from a lot more of those like how you doing? How you doing is a litmus test to me. If I am going to invest in you, when you ask me how I'm doing, then I'm going to tell you. And I started just giving people a little bit. I don't go into the like typing everything or voice messaging everything to people that I don't feel are really invested in me. And oftentimes I'm right. If I'm wrong, they'll ask more questions. But more often than not, I've been right in assuming that, okay, what this person's really doing is checking to see if I'm available for them to offload onto me. And this is like what dating has been for me. I've developed like this, I, I, I get excited sometimes, but I recognize too that my big occurrence of that rejection has influenced how I date. This happened several months ago. I don't want to put a timeline attached to it. And I recognize that I just haven't been excited about anyone since this person. And me and this person, we still talk. Um, I'll be sliding hands to her like, yeah, you playing, you playing, you playing. But <laughs> it's, I mean, that's it. I'm, I'm past the point of, you know, like hurting myself. I'm past the point of, um, now, when I say hurting myself, I mean like um, putting up false hope or allowing myself to have this false hope that, you know, one day she'll come around. One day she'll just re- realize that she already has herpes or that it's not a big deal or maybe she'll just like me so much. And that's that's just not what happens. You know, some people are just, again, more attracted to some people than others because I've been with people who don't care about me having herpes because we've been that attracted to each other. But what I haven't had is that same like sense of emotional connection and trust and safety. And that man, like that is a rare thing to find, especially in someone like close to you. Like I, we and again, digital social media is high school, right? So we're connected with so many people. We're able to connect with people through mutual interests that we otherwise wouldn't have connected with. And I have very few connections that I feel like offer that to me. But to have that in a partner, in to me, like now there needs to be like proof. I need that backed. I need to experience that, um, that trust that comes with emotional safety. Like for me to be able to really tell you how I'm feeling, for me to really be able to say some of the fucked up shit that goes on in my mind. Like if I can't feel safe sharing that with you, then there is no possibility of falling in love, right? And that's what that's what be happening. Like I I, I get this false sense of safety, and then I, I start to see like, oh, no, nah, this this ain't actually what it is. And unconditional acceptance is what I strive for. 
That to me is unconditional love. Every time that I have been in a relationship or been in love, the love was contingent on me not having sex with another person. And is that really what love is? Like love, I prove my love to you by simply not having sex with someone else. Because what that ultimately morphs into, it evolves into I don't want you to have sex with someone else turns into I don't want you to have sex with anyone else turns into I only want you to have sex with me turns into I only want you to want to have sex with me. So that is an evolving door, not door, I'm sorry, that evolves and elevates to being so much more of like this, this this lie essentially like you gotta lie to yourself you're putting energy into lying to yourself in order to be in love in order to receive love from someone you have to withhold your thoughts like your innermost just like visceral gut responses to attraction to somebody you cannot talk to a person that you might find attractive yeah but what i found is that in a lot of my in all of my relationships that haven't worked out is that there's been an issue with me not exclusively wanting to be attracted to that one person and also demonstrating um, my loyalty in that way. Like, how else do we demonstrate love for each other without showing that we're willing to withhold our, a part of ourselves from something and leaning into diving into a thing or uh, a person <laughs> that may make who it is that we're sharing life with intimidated. So these are these are things that I've struggled with in dating personally is not receiving unconditional acceptance. Like at one point in time, y'all, I was I was seeing eleven people. I did the math. Like within this time period, I had eleven regular relationships, like conversations and. Uh, texts and like we didn't all see each other because some of these relationships were a little bit longer distance and as I started to like obtain clarity on what the relationships were some went away some transformed into friendships and that that's not the case now I'm not seeing 11 people anymore <laughs> um, but I also had to be able to differentiate between you know what's a, a friendship where intimacy may be involved or we may have sex that might be on the table um, versus relationships. And so there are far fewer relationships that I have now. But all the while, like the process of dating, having gotten me to the point of realizing just how you know, even though I have herpes, you would think that that would have, I mean, it has changed things for me for the better, but you would think that my way of dating, having herpes would have changed from that point in childhood where I ran, like I physically ran away, like running away physically has now evolved to, ooh, let me create this whole, I'm going to create this smoke screen of that is something positive for positive people so that I can't be rejected for not matching what a person's expectations are of me. Let me, all right, now I'm going to, I'm going to go over here now and just live my life and let my people filter their way in and the people who aren't filter their way out. Having herpes has helped me in dating with identifying 
very quickly, you know, if I tell someone I have herpes and they welcome more conversation, they welcome the opportunity for me to get vulnerable with them and share what my experiences have been, then this is going to be someone who's emotionally safe. I have to, with my moral morality, um, share my status with them as well as, um, ask them about their testing practices. So it's it's helped me become a healthier communicator. Uh, it's made me have better connections, but like at the same time, you know, it, it's the game. It's still a game of dating. And I haven't had that feeling of excitement. Uh, and maybe like this is because I haven't healed from that feeling of rejection that I had. And dating has been very just ambivalent to me. It's felt like, you know, sort of, sort of a chore. Like, yeah, I want to have sex. So this is what you do to have sex. Like <laughs> you date people. And then, you know, at times like I'll just look up and be in a relationship and then be like, uh, well, you know, this, this could have happened. This could have not happened this way. I'm not really excited about it. Uh, and that, that's just been like a pattern of mine. So what I now know that I need to work on is recognizing that rejection to me is not against what I stand for. All rejection is from a person in the dating game is that they have something that's just more of a priority to them than making a part of me a priority. Like prioritizing an aspect of me will negate something that they hold near and dear to their heart and their identities. So to be Courtney's girlfriend means you're going to be the girlfriend of that dude who talks about herpes and that people, everybody knows it. To be um, in the relationship with me means that. It means that you're going to have to be the kind of person who um, is receptive to this deep shit sometimes, often. <laughs> because like I think that I have, I got my therapist, I have this podcast, I have my vehicles of expressing my emotions. I go to the gym, I do yoga, um, but I think it's still a lot. And like, I haven't found one person who can like really, you know, receive this in the way that counteracts my childhood trauma of being my mom's emotional boyfriend and going through adulthood uh learning that what women find to be very valuable about me is my emotional intelligence and that goes from friendships to also dating and then there are some people who just like want that and want me for themselves but you know I don't want them in that way to to give them all of me in the sense that of what it means to be in love man that shit's bullshit to me like I want for someone and I still haven't found this, you know, in someone that is going to be here full time as my partner, like unconditional acceptance. Everyone has tried to like change me or change something about me. And if something doesn't change or I'm unwilling to change, then like 
the relationship either won't work out or I find myself like compromising because it's like, all right, well, I like this thing. I like that I'm having this thing with this person, the sex or the food or the rides or the the adventures, the experiences. I don't want to stop having those. But do you want to be yourself more than you want to just not have certain experiences and things with a person is really what it comes down to. So I'm I'm beginning to really ramble. So I want to make sure that the number one takeaway from this entire episode is that you recognize that how you date is probably how you've always dated. Herpes or no herpes, there is going to be a consistent thing that has been there from, again, you you feel an emotion in the dating game, uh, whether it be positive or negative, you want to think back to the first time you felt that positive or negative emotion, and then you'll see what the pattern is. And once you recognize the pattern, you decide whether or not you want to change it, put boundaries in place, put a process in place that counteracts that pattern or uplifts and supports that pattern. For me, it's when people ask me how I'm doing, I offer a little bit. And then see how they react to that. And if they ask me again, I know, okay, you're not you're not going to be my person. Like, (laughs) that's just what it is, because I can't fall in love with you. I can't I don't feel safe to I don't feel safe trusting you. I don't feel like you accept me because like that's what it is. And then even, you know, looking at my mom, like I don't even think my mom has fully accepted me because she couldn't really know me because I was rarely given an opportunity to express how I was feeling. But I always knew how she was feeling. I always know how people around me are feeling. And so that 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 metaphorically should be whatever your thing is. And this could be something with the relationship with a family member, a guardian, uh, someone who was very influential um, on your life, because that might actually influence how you choose to date. And I said this before in one of my first podcast episodes, y'all, dating with herpes is just like dating. You know, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be things that you need to deal with. And all in all, you have to recognize like your intention in dating. And if you don't know what it is, it's to connect. In what ways are you connecting? In what ways are you feeling connected to? When do you feel most connected? Do you feel connected when your identity is being validated? When you feel seen? Because I, I recognize, I, I know that um, through social media that I make a lot of people feel connected to. I make a lot of them do that. And it's, it's short term. You know, it's like eating a Laffy Taffy versus having a regular practice of oh, eating a Laffy Taffy. That was terrible. That was a terrible analogy. I, I was going to use sugar versus Coke. Uh, and that that's not a good one either. But um Dopamine versus serotonin. I think one's short term, one's long term. I offer people dopamine hits, whereas I hope that these dopamine hits 
inspire people to put practices in place that allow for them to have serotonin consistently flowing through by giving them the opportunity to recognize their availability, their capacity to date, and then be able to welcome in the kind of people that can calm their nervous system so that they can naturally produce that serotonin. You should be with people who are easy to be with and that you're excited about being with that are excited about being with you. Like, I just, I recognize for myself, like, I don't have that excitement. And it could just be that my focus is in a different place. But it also could be that I'm being a little bitch about how I approach dating. Because another thing, and this is something that I'm going to talk to my therapist about, is that, like, I don't approach the kinds of people that I'm interested in because of that fear of rejection. And it's not like a fear of rejection for having herpes anymore Um, (laughs) since I just talked it out. (laughs) Now that I recognize that I feel like the rejection is for something positive for positive people. It's a rejection that it, it validates that. All I'm good for is being a placeholder for being, you know, someone that women can come and get the emotional support from a substitute rather than the person that they actually want it from. And that's kind of been my story with dating unavailable women. And I say unavailable um, in the sense of like I've dated women who were single, who were open, but like always had like a guy that they got from me what they wanted from them. And I could see it because sometimes arguments or disagreements just did not make any fucking sense at all. And then it was like, oh, it's because I'm not giving you you want from me what you want from that person. So you're like settling to get that emotional support and connection from me so that you can go on and continue to receive the emotional abuse or neglect, negligence, emotional neglect from the person that you have a physical connection with or that you actually are attracted to or whatever. So there's so much that really goes into this whole thing about dating that isn't on the surface of just herpes and compatibility and attraction. It, It gets a lot deeper. All you have to do is recognize like what your intentions are because when I've gotten on Tinder I said yo I really need I need to have sex so I'm getting on Tinder to meet somebody I can have sex with I did that and I was like yeah the intention was there the intention was great like when you set your mind to doing something and it happens like it's that much more satisfying But when you navigate the world, you know, ambivalently, like me right now, like you, you just feel so meh, right? Like, I'm not excited about, you know, anyone that I'm dating right now. I'm not excited. Uh, I don't see like the potential of like being in love in this moment. And that, that can change, but I'm just like really recognizing that dating is a matter of intention. And if you don't have that intention, then you won't be able to pull your focus into the things that you need to work on within yourself. 
in order to be the kind of person who is capable of enduring the ups and downs of playing in this game, like getting ghosted. I heard being ghosted is like the most clear, concise definition of being ghosted is being dumped without knowing that you're being dumped. And I was like, whoa, that is so good. <laughs> um, and it can be for a number of reasons. It can just be that, you know, maybe there is um, an insecurity that is just like radiating from you that you're completely unaware of. And it just shows up through your habits or something, because it could be the same thing with me. And my insecurity of, you know, being rejected may keep me from making approaches to the kinds of people that, you know, yeah, I would be excited about dating or that I would, you know, be able to potentially fall for and fall in love with. Ugh, I hate even like saying falling in love with, but I just ah, know that like, I, I know that I need to talk about this in therapy. So I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. And then, um, what I'll do is I'll come back and share the conclusion. I honestly thought about recording this next therapy session that I have to have, but I know that I'm going to say some shit. He's going to say some shit that we don't need to have recorded for the world to hear because somebody come back and use that against me and be like, Courtney, but you said. Yeah, I said it. That was, that was some shit that probably shouldn't have been heard by the rest of the world. Um, I thank you for listening to this point. Uh. And I, I really do hope that you are able to take something out of this um, that dating with herpes, man, it's just like dating. Whether you have herpes or don't have herpes, there are just compatibilities, attraction, incompatibilities, unattraction, and like the the understanding of what you keep coming against in your dating and linking that to the very first thing that made you feel the same way. Like, look at the feeling. Don't look at the situation. Look at the feeling. Because that feeling can be triggered by a number of different situations that all have one underlying emotion. And if you start to feel that, like, you got yourself a damn good radar for being able to recognize and identify these potential, you know, incompatibilities with a person. Um, and then go on about your business. Like they don't need to. They don't need to um, enter your space if you're already aware that this is someone who doesn't belong here. And I say this out loud because you know I need to hear this myself. I need to practice what I preach. Um, and so yeah, I mean I, I I've condensed and really gone down on the number, <laughs> gone down. I've gone down in that number of how many people is that I'm seeing and just like giving more energy and connection to fewer people. But like, I even asked this question myself, you know, like, why, why do I need so many people? Because even now after condensing, I'm like, oh, but I still need this. Like, I don't have something. And this is what it is that I'm hoping, um, talking through this whole thing about rejection will get me through is being able to identify and approach um, with assertiveness, like the assertiveness that I got from having herpes of having to initiate a very challenging conversation, I can initiate an approach to someone that I'm interested in and be willing to deal with the rejection, having an understanding that, you know, this isn't 
a mark against what it is that I've done for the last five years if I get rejected or if it's a mark against like who I am as a person. You know, the more sure I am about myself, the more a sure person about themselves is going to be able to make their way into my space and will be able to share spaces to sure as motherfuckers about who we are and then be able to do whatever this thing is in this reality called life that we want to do. So um, I wish that for myself. I wish that for every one of you, you know, if that if you are looking for a person or some people, um, but just know like we we're here to connect. We want to connect. We want to experience other and we also want to experience ourselves through others. And so like with that understanding, like, please don't don't isolate yourself. Don't let choices be made for you in terms of like how you choose to date, how you choose to connect with people. Be proactive and make that choice. And if you're feeling ambivalence, if you're not excited to be with someone, however it is that you are mutually agreeing upon being with one another, don't do it. Don't do it. And the way to counter that ambivalence, again, is with intentionality. So go into it intentionally. Know what you value. Know what you um, what you need from a person. Because now, like, I'm learning that. And understand what your trauma is. Because it's going to continue to resurface in the dating uh, in various situations. But again, being able to lock on to that feeling when you most recently felt it and when you first felt it, that's going to change the game for you, y'all. Thank you for listening. Again, um, no intro, no outro needed. This is just dating. <laughs>